You've joined us for week two of our series called Hollywood, Hallmark, or Holiness, and we are looking at our, our sexuality, our relationships, and trying to understand that from a biblical point of view rather than from what our culture tries to inform us. So if you missed last week, you got to go back and catch up. We'll give you 30 minutes to do that right now. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> you can do that on your own time. But we, we are going to, it's Valentine's Day weekend, and we are going to be looking at relationships. So we asked you this week on our social media accounts, you're already having this discussion if you're in the online campus, you're already going back and forth, giving some marriage advice. We had some of our young adults who were, who were pre-hosting, pre-service, and right. they yeah. were giving marriage advice. So, But we also asked our, our, our social media following this week, so could you tell us something, the best piece of marriage advice that you've ever received? This one is actually from one of our couples that got married during COVID, brand new, Caleb, okay. Caleb and Tracy. They said, here's the best piece they received. Neither of you are perfect, and you never will be. Caleb, I hope you weren't saying this to Tracy specifically. This is for you, you too, right? Uh, but everyone has flaws. Remember that grace will flow. That's a fantastic piece of marriage advice and one that we need to be reminded of. This one, my contractor tells me, actually, every day that he asks me a question about what I want to see in the bathroom, and he says, just remember, Rick, happy wife, happy life. So I say, yeah. <laughs> so I go, I'm not saying anything. Whatever Amanda says, we're good to go. Yeah, I'm not going to add a word to that one. <laughs> and then this one came uh, from a number of different sources. People said this, communicate, communicate, Communicate. If you want to have a thriving marriage, you've got to communicate. You know, marriages are just a gold mine for comedians. You ever notice how they'll pick up on a marriage and they'll just find a way to find humor in the middle of it? And I remember a comedian talking about thriving marriages and actually referenced his marriage. And he said, you know, we invest heavily into our marriage to make it work. In fact, we go out for dinner twice a week. He said, we make it a point. We go out, we enjoy a good drink, we have a nice meal, we have good companionship. She goes on Tuesday, I go on Friday. <laughs> so when you think about marriage, they just they have a way of really talking it through. I, I had a pastor who was a mentor in my life, and I enjoyed learning from him. And often he'd put series on relationships together. And I remember his wife stopped me one time and said, I love it when my husband speaks about marriage and relationships, because for a few weeks, he actually lives the material out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're hoping that this is actually going to broaden beyond a few weeks. And fundamentally, that this isn't about just marriage. This is for every stage of life to look at relationships. And we recognize that as you're joining with us today, not everyone is in a marriage relationship. Not everyone's in a relationship at all. And you're thinking, all right, I can tune out. This Sunday is not for me. You flick off to something else. And you're probably feeling like, my goodness, on a weekend when the whole world is piling on, why, why is the church doing this as well? I, I, I'm already trying to find my space on Valentine's Day weekend. But the reality is that we're all surrounded by relationships. We're all heavily impacted by marriage relationships, and, and we create a lens and an understanding. So whether this has been what you've noticed in your parents' relationship, your friends or siblings' relationship, or what you've experienced in your relationship, we're going to talk about what the Bible actually has to teach us about refining those relationships. And there's a number of people in our day and age, and I know our young adults were having this conversation in our pre-service discussion online. They were saying there's a lot of people that just don't want to get married because they've seen so much hurt. There's been so many broken lives because of marriage and because of what's happened in the marriage that they say, I'm not going down that road. So what the goal is today is it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're not, if you're interested, if you're not, 
We're going to look at what the Bible teaches us more than what culture teaches us, more than what we've seen lived out in the lives around us. And we're going to say, can we align to that and, and believe that there is a biblical pathway to thriving marriages if we would understand it from that lens and if we would take what the Bible says is truth as opposed to letting the culture inform us. So we're going to be in a passage uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. And we're going to be challenging us today not to engage in a Hollywood way that makes it glamorous and say you have to impress each other, not in a Hallmark way where you think the ideal person's going to drop in, come riding on a horse in the snow during Christmas to wow you off your feet. That's not marriage, but we're going to look at what the Bible has to teach us. And we're going to look at it from a side that maybe we often don't do, because as we go through this together, one of the things we're very cognizant of is often we tend to cherry pick the verse that we want to lean into and say, well, that's what defines a marriage. And we want to look at the text today. And so as you get your Bibles and you open up your apps to Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're, we're going to dive into this and we're going to look at the broader topic of the scripture because when the Bible speaks, it speaks cohesively all across the pages. So we don't just pull individual verses out, and as we walk this out, the principles that we're going to share together are going to apply, as you mentioned, Rick, at every level of life. Maybe you're thinking about marriage, maybe you're post-marriage, and you're a widower, and you're just wondering, you know, what does my life look like now in the relationships that I'm in? We're hoping that as we go through this, we'll define the principles behind these strong marriage relationships that we can either encourage people in, we can adapt and develop into our life, or we're going to grow into as we just commit ourselves into thriving marriages. So three thoughts for you. Your points are in your app. All your scriptures are there. So make sure you have that open so you can follow along. Let's jump right in. A thriving marriage recognizes that it's a covenant. It's not a contract. And one of the biggest failures of marriage, I would say, from a Western perspective, is that it is the license that solidifies the marriage. That's been the designing factor. And because it's legal, because we've signed it, we've notarized it, we send it to the registrar, we go, there, I've done the marriage, I'm good. But you realize there were marriages before governance, right? We understand this. Marriage existed before government. In fact, marriage was never about a contract. Marriage was a solemn promise between two people, two families, really, that agreed to join their lives together. And this is covenant-based. This is promised-based. This is not contract-based. Because contracts are absolutely breakable. And I know that you know this because I've watched so many of us go between Bell and Rogers with our cell phone contracts, right? That I'm not going to ask you who you're with. I'm not even going to ask you how many have stayed away from Bell and Rogers because you're like, I'm not going with those people. But I do know this, that when they brought that new rule in that they can't hold you hostage for seven years into a cell phone contract anymore, <laughs> every two years you pick up the phone, you say, you know, I'm with Bell or I'm with Rogers and the other company is going to give me this. Are you going to match it? And when they say, oh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We absolutely can. You go fantastic, then I will stay if you do this and if you do this. And we start a contract, we can play off one another because they're providing us a service, right? So they don't think they are. They think they own us, but we flipped it on them. No, they're providing us with a service and so that we can, we can negotiate. We can say, well, I can get something better here. And if not, I'm going to bring my business. I'm going to bring my phone relationship over there. The problem with that is when we treat marriage with a contract. We go, you know, honey, (laughs) this is what happens in other marriages. I think we should bring that in our marriage. I can make my marriage better. Or in the worst spot where we go, I actually see a better option over here. 
I can break that contract. When we have the lens that marriage is contractual, we can, we can break it, which is why what we're looking at, this, this has to be a promise. This has to be something that we've said, I will give everything, I will invest my life, everything about who I am into you. And Paul starts out this teaching on marriage in Ephesians 5. We're going to start at verse 21. Even before he speaks husband and wife, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're, we're, it's a contract with God. It's a covenant with, not a contract with God. It's a covenant with God saying, I'm doing this out of my reverence for you. And I'm promising another person, another family, and my heavenly father that I will regularly and forever submit to the desires of another person, even if it comes at my personal expense. The challenge and the hurt that we've seen in marriage in our society is because it's been contractually based rather than based on a covenant. You know, and maybe part of that is because we don't understand the word covenant. It's not a, a word that we're overly familiar with. I don't think we walk around and go, hey, you know, let's get into a covenant together. And you go, what's that? It, it's kind of something in <laughs> <Pinky> history. <swear>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a pinky pledge. There we go. And, and so we don't use the word covenant, and we move into our cultural or societal understanding of contract. And we've seen this. We've seen this in the role of even being pastors and officiants for, for weddings and marriages. When we would first do weddings, I remember when I first started doing weddings, couples would come and they would sit down and they'd want to prepare for their marriage. They talked about getting ready for their marriage and they wanted to understand how can we better prepare together? What should we know on how do we think and adapt and adjust and would walk through it? And we could probably tell you today, we're more like the addendum now to the wedding. They go, listen, we're getting married on this day. Are you available? So it's more if like, not, can, can somebody else fill in? Exactly. <laughs> can you sign the contract? And by the way, are you very expensive because we're trying to keep the wedding costs down? <laughs> and so what's happened, it's just permeated every level of our understanding that when we talk about relationships and especially marriage relationships, but take a moment and broaden it out. All of our relationships become very contractual in nature. If you do something, if you please me, if you serve me, if you make me smile, if you make me happy, then I'm going to stay in relationship with you. If you offend me, if you hurt me, then I'm going to drop you. But you see, God steps into our world and through Jesus, he establishes a covenant with us in relationship. And he goes, I am going to love you no matter what you do. I am going to love you and give my best for you. I will be there even if you turn and you walk away. And then when we talk about marriage together in relationship, he said, if you want to enter into the most fulfilling, challenging, engaging, rewarding relationship, then you enter into a marriage in a covenant with each other. Because you'll be challenged, right, married people? <laughs> wow, these are some good marriages. You guys got great marriages. You'll be challenged, right, married people? Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, you will. You'll be frustrated. You'll be thrilled. You'll go through the gamut of emotions and experience because covenants are so much different than contracts. And I love that illustration of our cell phone because we really do. What do we do when we're in a bad stretch in our relationship? We start to mentally shop ourselves out. And God says, that's not what a covenant is. A covenant is when you so immerse yourself and commit yourself into the relationship. So I find that today, a lot of people, when they start talking about marriage, and especially as we get and prepare them for marriage, we're often dealing with contractual mindsets because it's so permeated everything that we do that we have to come back and understand that marriage is founded on a covenant. 
And a covenant is something that God established through His Son Jesus towards us. And then He said, and now you can have the privilege of experiencing the wonder of that relationship in a marriage. Let's go to the teaching of Jesus on it in Mark 10, verses 2 through 5. And Jesus asked the people around Him, the Pharisees, there were teachers there, what, what, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment as a concession to your hard hearts. So the challenge here is what we start looking at is we look at what's permissible. The law permits divorce, absolutely. What was, God intent, what was God's perfect intention? That two people would learn to submit to each other and live that life forever. And the difference comes with when I look at where's the line that's permissible versus what's the thing that God really intended. God knew that human hearts will grow cold. God knew there'd be situations where there's abuse going on, where there's neglect going on. And because of sin, because of hard-heartedness, there's a measure permitted to go, there's a separation. But the intention was never to go, when two people have figured out how to live submitted lives together, they could end up in divorce if they wanted to shop the contract around. But because, it's only when the sin and someone says, I'm not going to participate in this covenant, that, that this is where the law for divorce came in. But when our hearts stay soft and we understand that we're coming together as one and we're mutually submitted, this is where the covenant works. This is God's intention for marriage. You know, the power of the covenant brings two people together in a union that's so strong, and we'll get more into that as we go. But if you just pause for a moment, you think about our, our culture today, and it's spread. It's, it's really, it's quite global. We start to use phrases as we get ready for weddings and marriages. We talk about prenuptial agreements. And if you think about it, the essence of a prenuptial agreement is if this thing doesn't work out, I want to take back everything I brought into it, right? Wouldn't you like that with your kids? <laughs> Don't answer that. But, you know, we have prenuptial agreements. And then when Laura and I got married, you're going to think this is terrible, but this is what we did. We were on our honeymoon and we watched the movie, Irreconcilable Differences. Wow, I don't know if you ever watched romantic, right? I, just, I wanted to just sweep her off her feet. So we watched Irreconcilable Differences. But I remember thinking that through. And as we were talking about this over the years, it's interesting how now when we approach relationships, we don't even need to have major disagreements. We can just agree to disagree and say, that's an irreconcilable difference. Therefore, this marriage can easily be dissolved. And Jesus spoke to this. And I, I like that you brought that out. He said, it was because of the hardness of your heart. And we would sit and read the text and we'd go, oh, we would never be like that, would we? And yet that's exactly what scripture points out because we have this propensity towards our sinful nature that we need to check. That's why God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will be looked at differently when you begin to understand and think about your marriage relationship as a covenant and not as a contract because people won't understand how you've adjusted that thought. So let's dig it a little further deeper that a thriving marriage also requires both submission and sacrifice. So when our teaching team, and if you're familiar with our church, you'll know that when we put messages together, there's five or six of us that gather together to debate this. We said, well, there's an element of submission and sacrifice. It is the same thing. And Pastor Dwayne dug his heels in and said, no, every time uh, Paul clearly delineates that, and he's correct. <laughs> and so we go, there is, there is this space that there is a difference between submission and sacrifice. So let's, 
let's bring those words, those words that probably bring some feelings and some emotion and might flare up for some people. Let's recognize that they will, but let's put a biblical, a scriptural lens on them as opposed to a cultural lens. Remember last week we talked about this. If we're culturally informed but biblically illiterate, then some of this stuff is going to be way too hard for us to even fathom. And we'll say, I'm not even going to accept that. But when we're biblically literate and saying, this is what provides truth to me, then we can take these words at face value and go, let me see what the Spirit might be saying to me about it. So here's what he says. Now remember, Ephesians 5.21 starts out, submit to one another. That's the baseline. That's where we are. We get into verse 22. Hopefully uh, these won't be on screen, so we have your Bibles open out of the New Living Translation. It says, for wives, this means submit, there's the word, to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the church, is the wife, uh, for the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and cleaned, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, in our attempt to be biblically literate, we have to understand that sometimes we will not be culturally responsive or culturally sensitive. There will be times when our culture will say, this is how you should do it, and we'll say, I'll just make the Bible kind of fit alongside what my culture said. And when we, lose, when we have that perspective, we lose the truth that's afforded into us, into the scripture. So we'll say, submission means you do everything that I say. Or you say, I don't need to submit because that's not what my culture tells me I need to do. And there'll be these two opposite perspectives. So three quick things we need to understand when we're looking at these words, submit and sacrifice. The first is that it's important to approach marriage about what we give, not what we get. We have to approach it in a way that I am here to give love. I am here to offer myself to the other person, not I'm receiving something from the other person. And if we don't approach it that way, that's where the hard-heartedness comes in. If we say, I'm getting something from you, this is where the brokenness comes in. Number two, both parties must be concerned with how they individually give love, not what they gain. I can't be concerned that I will sacrificially lay my life down for my wife when she submits to me. No, I have to be, I will give everything away so that her life is loved, her life is cared for, all her needs are met, which is how Christ loved us, right? So men, that's a high calling that he's asking of us. I will do that, and then I will expect that she will submit, but I can't force that on her, because that's not the message to me. The message to me is loved sacrificially, and then for wives, it's to submit to that kind of love, but we have to be uh, we have to be responsible for ourselves. And then the third one, and this is where historically culture has got it wrong sometimes, we try to force it on the other person. It is not my role to force my wife to submit. That's not what Paul teaches here. He doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit. And we've missed that. And we've abused that. And that's where the hurt comes in. Because we've said, it's my role to make you submit or it's my role to make you sacrifice. But Paul says, submit to each other and then practice life-giving, sacrificial love, and then submission as equal partners. And that's what a thriving marriage looks like. So I sat with a couple in my office, and they were talking about their wedding plans, and they were all excited about the day, and they were talking about what their life was going to look like beyond the wedding day. And that's what we do. We prepare for marriage. It's part of our mandate. 
But I never forget, she looked at me and she said, Pastor, when we do the repeat part, when we do the vows, don't make me say obey. And I I looked at her and I said, you don't want to say, she goes, you know the vows, that part where you say, I have to love, honor, cherish, and obey. Don't make me say obey. And then I looked at him and I thought, well, we're in for a good ride today. This is going to be a very interesting car. Because he had kind of this confused look, like what was the issue? So she obviously had history that created a flash in the word. And I thought, well, so how do we walk this out? And I went back, and it's going to be on the screen for you. In Colossians chapter 3, 18 and 19, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Here's what happens. We hear a word that flashes in our mind, and then we don't hear the rest. Because now there's emotion that just builds up in our heart and in, in our mind and we don't listen. And that's a key for effective communication is being able to listen to what the other person is saying without trying to formulate your response so that you can comprehend what is being communicated. Why do I raise that? Listen to what Paul was writing. You mentioned this, Rick. You said there's equal submission and sacrifice. He starts in Ephesians 5.21. He goes, all of us, Submit to one another first and submit to Christ. So before he talks about husbands and wives, before he talks about kids and work relationships, everything, he says, nothing in your life is going to work unless you understand that mutual submission and sacrifice is what defines us as followers of Christ. And then he picks it up and he says, and husbands and wives, here's how you live in this new relationship together. So that word obey comes in and that word love comes in and the husbands and the wives that kind of turn their ears off. But what does Paul do? Four times in Ephesians 5, 23, 24, 25, 26, he talks about Christ in the church. He said it's like Christ in the church. This is this dance. This is this marriage. This is this miracle that's taking place. And so when we begin to understand the power of what it is to submit to one another, We begin to see the joy and the privilege of what it is to build a thriving marriage. And I love what it says in verse uh, 33 in Ephesians 5. It says, I say to each man, love your wife as you love love yourself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's this beauty of submission, and there's this beauty of sacrifice that comes only in a relationship that's built on a covenant. And places where we get it wrong is trying to enforce that on somebody else. And we enforce it across the church. We've had discussions over the years, well, should there be dual standard for those who have been divorced or haven't been divorced? And we go, well, let let me bring some judgment on you. No, (laughs) this is about my submission. This is about my following with Jesus. Or we'll say, is there a place for me to say, well, you're not in submission and you're not in sacrificial love, so that's that's a place where I can bring judgment. No, (laughs) this is about our covenant with God to another person. And we are, we are responsible for that. And it only works in a thriving marriage when both parties recognize this. If you go to 1 Corinthians 7 and 4, the wife gives authority, over to her, gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. A thriving marriage is both individuals freely choosing to participate in mutual submission because of the commitment they made to God and the commitment they made to other. And so much of the fear in our society and the hurt that we walk through is because only one party is following through on their part of the covenant. They're saying, I'm doing, and the other person says, yeah, 
then I'm not, I don't, I don't need to do that. But a wife that submits to a husband who is sacrificing his life for her is a thriving space. A wife that submits to a husband who isn't sacrificing his life can become abusive. A husband who is laying down his life for a, a wife who's saying, but I'm never submitting to anything, can become abusive. And so we get to this space, and when we walk through those, this is where our hard-heartedness builds up. So Paul's challenging, and he's challenging the Ephesians people. So remember, this isn't a new challenge for us in 2022. This is 2,000 years old, where all of us need to go, wow, I'm not getting it perfect. I've probably caused some hurt in my, in my spouse's life, or in my family's life, or people who are watching us. And we say, no, we are committing to living this life of mutual submission, deferring to the other person, working for a thriving marriage. John Maxwell is probably best known for his statement that everything rises and falls on leadership. And you go, what's leadership got to do with the marriage? Well, Mark Miller picks up on this, and he talks a little bit about organizations, whether it's a business, a marriage, a church, Whatever the organization is, he said every organization has a leadership culture and people watch that culture very, very carefully and they're looking for two things. What's really important in that organization or in that marriage? And do I trust the people that are there? And I read their words and I got thinking about our marriages and our relationships. And isn't that true of our marriage relationships? People are watching our marriages, and they want to know, is the culture of that marriage reflective of what the scriptures tell us it should be, or is it reflective of what society is dictating it should be? And we think, well, we can build our culture and nobody's watching, but we all know. We know our kids are watching it. We know our family is watching it. We know our friends are watching, and our society is watching. And the amazing part of this is when Paul is writing, he's writing into an environment where the believers are being persecuted and they're trying to establish their faith and they're trying to live faithfully for God. And Paul said, did you know you can live in a way that you will attract the attention of the world? That your marriages will be so radically different that the submission and the sacrifice that you demonstrate towards one another will establish a culture that they will know there's something different about you, which in turn gives expression to your relationship with Christ because they see something in you that they don't see in any other marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. So when Paul writes these words and he invites us into this relationship, there's this wonder of what it is then to serve each other sacrificially. And, and Jesus, you know, Jesus actually picked this up because he saw his disciples. Remember they had that little bit of a moment with James and John saying, hey, when you get to your kingdom, can I, you know, be in your left and can I be on your right? They even got mom involved in that one. <laughs> and the other 10 disciples got like terrifically upset with them. And Jesus spoke into that, and he spoke into culture. And he said, you see it all around you. People are trying to get greater. They're trying to lead. He said, I'm telling you, if you want to be the greatest, you must what? Serve each other. And what is it to serve? That means to submit and to sacrifice. And he goes, when you get that right, and friends, here's the difference. When you get God's kingdom right, you get your marriage right. But when you bring the culture in, it's going to move with the flow of culture, and that's the challenge. So thriving marriage, you've got to recognize it's a covenant. We re it requires both of us to fulfill the command to us that we would sacrificially love and submit. And finally, it embraces a mystery of, of oneness. And we've been hinting around this all day. But there's a spiritual piece of marriage that our society leaves out, 
but we can't ignore if we're trying to understand it from a biblical lens. You remember the movie, it was a, probably 20 years ago now, it was Jerry Maguire, and there's the moment where she runs and says, you complete me. You remember that? Yeah, you remember that. And everyone cries. And you know that's not like theologically correct, though. We, we get that, right? No? Okay, it is theologically correct for you. You complete me. No, it's not. You are one complete human being that, is, that doesn't need another human being to complete you. Um, we, but we do enter into a new being. Two complete human beings entering in a oneness that we can't understand from human logic and from human wisdom. But Paul teaches very explicitly that it's a mystery, but it's truth. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother. You talked about that. We don't get that right all the time. We leave. <laughs> and then we're joined to, he's joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. In, in the same way that we take on a new being, a new humanity, when we enter into relationship with Christ and we're filled with his spirit, this is what happens with marriage. We have the ability to become one in spirit, still two human beings, but one in spirit functioning in a way, and this is where we can understand mutual submission, sacrifice, and love. You know, Paul uses a word, and... Uh... It's Ephesians is just so rich. I would encourage you because we, we can't cover it all today. We know that. And I'd encourage you to read the book of Ephesians because Paul says he uses the word mystery two times in Ephesians. And if you look at it, the first time he uses the word, now mystery is not like a, a mystery novel, Who done it? you're trying to figure it out. You get Sherlock Holmes, you're a private investigator, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> mystery, the way Paul uses the word in the Bible, is something that wasn't known before has now been revealed. And Paul said there are two mysteries. You can read this in Ephesians. He said the first has to do with the church. And you go, well, what was the mystery with the church? And he said Jews and Gentiles are now together in Christ in the church. And this was radical to the Jewish population because they were longing for their Messiah. And suddenly Paul says, hey, yes, as you're longing, Jesus is the Messiah. And by the way, the Gentiles are now unfolded into the church. This is the mystery of the gospel, which is incredible. We are all one together. And you hear us use that verse over and over. And you talk about there's neither Jew nor Gentile, Greek. We talk about slave or free, male or female. So that's one of the mysteries. The second time he uses the word mystery is in a marriage relationship. And he said, here's the mystery of what it is to be married. It's like Christ and the church. They are inseparable. Mm. You, you cannot pull them apart. You cannot think of the church apart from Christ. The bride and the bridegroom are in this one relationship. And so Paul uses this analogy for us to understand that when we, when we step into a marriage a Christian marriage, a biblical marriage, it's in a covenant with Christ of oneness that is so profound and so rich, it's almost impossible to comprehend. And Rick, you know, we were talking about Jesus when he was questioned about divorce, and he went back to the text in Genesis, and he said, well, you remember that back in Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will be united, and they'll become one. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, Verse 27, there is a very powerful insight in the scripture. After God finishes his creation, it said, let us, this is God speaking, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make humans in our own image. Everybody know the passage I'm referring to? Here's what's powerful. Most people think at creation, then God created Adam, 
and then later on he created Eve, which that's true in a timeline. But go to Genesis 1.27, it says, So God said, let us make man, and he made them male and female. Isn't it interesting that God would indicate that male and female must be represented in order for the creation of God to find fulfillment? Just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one and complete together in that oneness, God was already ordering that in relationship, a man and a woman together would come together in a powerful oneness that would represent the presence of God. When we get this right, it changes our relationship. You can't separate Christ from the church. And he said, and in your marriage, you two are now one. And it's a mysterious oneness, but it's founded by Christ. Well, you just opened up a thousand questions. I I sure did, didn't I? (laughs) And for the answer to those questions, it's R. Carroll at Port of... Actually, I think Dwayne Henry should be on tag. Sure, yeah, D. Henry at Port of Canada. Perfect. (laughs) Fantastic understanding of what it means to to walk in oneness. So the practical application, the, the challenge in our society today as we wrap this up is that there are people who are coming together to be married and you're trying to say, you know what, I'm going to take my job, my life, my family, my finance, and I'm just going to walk alongside one other person. I'm, I'm choosing to be, be like this. And you've not embraced the mystery of oneness. Marriage is, marriage is one and it's, it's messy. <laughs> and it takes trusting that another person will care for you in the same way that Christ cares for you, sacrificially, mm-hmm. without, without question. Just say, I will give everything without guilt, without fear. If we can understand that, then we will understand thriving marriages. And I know for many, it's still a mystery. <laughs> so, so we are going to further this conversation. On Saturday, February the 26th, um, we're going to have a day set aside to look at the foundations of marriage. And whether you're married, whether you're in a relationship, or whether you're single, we had one of our um, ministry partners yesterday at our ministry partner uh, appreciation event said, I'm single, but I really want to come. Am I going to be welcomed? Am I going to be shunned? And no, you're not going to be shunned coming to the event. Yes, you are welcome to come to the event. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Please come and participate in this further conversation about how we do this in a biblical way. We've already got 50 people um, registered to come. Going to be a fantastic morning as, as we dig a little bit further into this. But as we go today, it would be our privilege to pray with you. And I also want to recognize as we have a conversation like this, this probably triggers a lot of conversations, a lot of questions. Um, please don't feel like you can't reach out. Please don't feel like you have to journey through this on your own. Any one of us on our team would love to spend some time just processing, debriefing, what, what questions you have, what's been brought up today as we've been studying these, these scriptures or even stuff from last week. And, and if you don't want to talk about it with us, we can connect you to one of our counselors. But that we would understand what the true definition of marriage is, that is sacrificial, that we submit to each other in a covenant relationship as one, the same way that Christ and the church are one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this ability to get into your word today, this ability to gather today. And Lord, we recognize that all of us are going to walk out of this place with different levels of understanding, different levels of, of, of hurt and success, of joy and shame, Lord. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, God, you do by your power only what you can do, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You come and you remind us, Lord, that 
regardless of how successful we've been at this, we are loved. There is no sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't walk in guilt, Lord. But every day we commit to submitting ourselves to your teaching. We declare, Lord, that we want to walk in a way that honors you. And we recognize that the Spirit will guide us and help us as we do, Lord, so that when we have a misstep, that we will be picked up, we will be forgiven, and we will be encouraged that we are not condemned and that we're to go and sin no more. So, Lord, thank you for this fantastic teaching and series that we've been able to just be a part of over the last couple of weeks and some hearts that have been refined. Lord, continue to refine us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.